Hello and welcome back to Horror from the High Desert. I am your host, Scotty Milder, and my guest this week is Angela Sylvain. So Angela is a self-proclaimed cheerful goth who writes horror fiction and poetry. Her debut novel, Frostbite, is out now, and her debut short story collection, The Dead Spot, Stories of Lost Girls, is forthcoming from Dark Matter, Inc. Her short fiction and poetry have appeared in or on over 40 anthologies, magazines, and podcasts, including Southwest Review, Apex Magazine, and the No Sleep Podcast. She lives in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains with her sweetheart and three creepy cats. You can find her online at angelasylvain.com. And as always, if you're enjoying this podcast, go to whatever streaming platform you're using. Please give me a five-star review. Go ahead and subscribe. Share this on social media. Tell your friends. And here we go with Angela Sylvain. So, uh, interestingly, on my other podcast, The Weirdest Thing, me and my co-host just recently interviewed another YA author. Her name is Shannon C.F. Rogers. She has a book out called um, I'd Rather Burn Than Bloom. It's not a horror novel, but it's another... Uh, It's kind of like a coming-of-age YA novel dealing with grief and identity and, you know, things like that. And I had a similar reaction to reading her book. And and I should say Shannon's a longtime friend. She's from Albuquerque, too. I've known her for a long time. But I had a similar reaction reading her book that I did to reading Frostbite, which was if I hadn't been told that it was YA or knew that it was being marketed as YA, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of it as YA. (laughs) And so I guess I'm going to ask you kind of the, uh, or put it to you kind of the same way I put it to her, which was, you know, this is kind of making me realize as someone who, who I don't read a lot of YA. Yeah. And the stuff I have read is, you know, I've read Harry Potter. I've read the Hunger Games. I've read kind of the big things. (laughs) It's making me realize I probably have a, a fairly like limited concept of what YA is. <laughs> so, um, I think that's true of most people. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and you're the first author I've had on this podcast who has written a YA horror novel. So I guess my first question for you is like, what does that term mean? And and specifically, how do you approach how do you approach it in the context of writing a horror novel? Because I got to say, and I know this is kind of a long preamble, but, you know, Frostbite, it's it's gory as hell. You've got a lot of F-bombs. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, you know, when I uh, was reading YA back in, you know, the 90s or... Yeah, oh, I read a ton stuff. of Christopher Pike, yes. <laughs> <laughs> this just seems like, uh, this this definitely seems like a different, <laughs> a different approach, so... What are those, what does it mean to you to kind of write YA and horror and to kind of push some of those boundaries? Yeah, and I definitely think what YA is has changed over time. Mm -hmm. So I used to read a lot of YA as well. And you'll see a lot of YA like paranormal romance is a huge genre within YA. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's shifted a little bit what readers want. And readers are more mature sometimes than we give them credit for, you know? So usually Mm -hmm. when I think of, my book and other books as well in the YA space, we often will categorize them um, as 15 and up. So 15 Mm. and up is like, technically YA can start at 13 if you use like a publisher's definition. Sure. But once you start getting into like language and maybe some more intense themes, we usually say like 15 and up. But when you think about the 
kind of themes in both of these books we're talking about, mm-hmm. that's kind of appropriate, right? I wouldn't be too worried about a 15-year-old reading that, no. considering what they're already seeing in the world, on television. You know, they're really old enough for that stuff. And I think what makes it YA is tricky. I actually, when I was writing this book, did not think of it as YA. Interesting. Well, once I sent it to beta readers and people doing blurbs, mm-hmm. everyone, like widely people said, oh, wow, this is really interesting YA book. I loved this coming hmm. of age story. And so I actually went into it, not necessarily thinking of it that way, but I basically just listened to the feedback of the readers that read it and said, mm-hmm. okay, this is what I have written. Yeah. So I think maybe that coming of age is a big part of it. What makes mm-hmm. it YA is that transition from kind of being a child to being an adult, which really mm-hmm. happens from the ages of, you know, kind of like 15 and up. You know, 15 to like 20 even is a very dynamic time Mm -hmm. where you're going from basically people telling you what to do and not really having much autonomy. Mm -hmm. Now really having like responsibility for your life and other people and Mm -hmm. what's happening around you. So that's going to be the main component, I think, is that it's kind of a coming of age type That's And that's interesting because um, that's something that uh, Shannon also talked about is that coming of age aspect. And she kind of said, you know, she kind of learned over time that really what YA is, is it's not really a genre. It's it's kind of a marketing category. It's a shelf in a bookstore. Exactly. And within that, it's got horror. It's got romance. It's got, yep. and, and the really the one unifying thing is that it appeals to teenagers. <laughs> yeah. And and I can see, and but what what is uh, what I loved about Frostbite, you know, because I'm demonstrably not a teenager. Um, <laughs> I'm a forty five. Me neither. <laughs> I can see, I can see reading Frostbite. I can see why this would have very genuine appeal to teenagers. I can imagine myself as a teenager reading it. I loved the '90s setting, by the way. It just oh good. Me, right to me as a as a younger Gen Xer. <laughs> I was about the age of these characters, so. Same. <laughs> but, you know, it also appealed to me as like an adult horror reader. You know, it yeah. it, it worked on every level as a horror novel uh, without mm-hmm. pulling any punches, I thought. Um, Thank you so much. Well, yeah, and I hope it, was... it does appeal to adults too, even though mm-hmm. technically it's YA. Yeah. You know, I think of what I like to read and watch and I like those kind of stories and I think other people do just because it's a person who's, you know, a little younger doesn't mean mm-hmm. that story can't appeal to everyone and it isn't a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a YA and adult, hopefully. Yeah. And I think, and I think it's interesting when you, you talk about the, the kind of the 15 and up because, yeah, you know, I was, and you know, I mentioned Christopher Pike and I actually, I should admit, and I have admitted on here, I actually never read Christopher Pike because I kind of went as a reader, I went from reading like, you know, Dragonlance books to Stephen King right away. Like yeah. I kind of skipped that YA horror market mm-hmm. um, and just went right into like Stephen King and Clyde Barker when I was about 13. So I've always had the idea of like, we're way too protective of kids, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Kids can handle a lot more than yes. <laughs> I think parents think they can. And what I what I appreciated about Frostbite is and 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 Shannon's book, uh, I'd rather burn them bloom, you know, very different books, but you're talking to kids in a very adult way, you know, you're mm-hmm. treating kids 
uh, with the respect to be able to handle themes and imagery and ideas that, you know, it, it feels like we used to trust kids to be able to handle these things. I think about, you know, movies from the 80s. Me yeah. and uh, my friends, we joke about like, you know, the kids movies from the 80s you couldn't get away with today. You know, movies like The Dark Crystal or, right? um, you know, like, you know, p- parents are so like freaked out by what their kids watch now. Whereas when we were kids, it was like, as long as we basically uh, survived the experience, I think. You know. Right. We had very little like monitoring, you right. know, <laughs> you know, the latchkey kid. That's how we grew. That's how I grew up as well. Yeah, and exactly. I think you know. Truly, we probably should allow kids to be exposed to more now, not less. Because frankly, mm-hmm. with like the internet and everything else happening around them, they actually need to develop the tools to mm-hmm. to kind of understand the world and develop resilience. Right. Probably well, more now than ever. <laughs> well, and they're seeking you know? it out. You know, like I teach. Um, I teach at a community college. Uh-huh. I teach film. And a lot of my students are, you know, kind of Gen Yers um, or Gen y, Gen Z, sorry. Mm-hmm. And I have noticed, and I don't want to speak with too broad a brush, but some of the Gen Z students are coming in with, like, they they really kind of aren't equipped to mm-hmm. deal with. You know, they mm-hmm. have been too sheltered, and I think you know they need to read more stuff like Frostbite. So, I think so you know, truly, because I think that's when I look at myself personally, and I've heard other people just say this about horror in general, why Mm -hmm. is it good for kids to be exposed to horror? It's because you get exposed to things that you can kind of deal with that are hypothetical. Mm -hmm. And you can process those emotions. And like, look at that world in a safe way, right? You have a little distance. Um, Mm -hmm. but it helps you develop the tools to like actually do that in real life, you know, by combating fake horrors, you actually are a little more resilient to real horrors too. Mm -hmm. That's certainly true of me. So I think that's, I think that's exactly right. Cause I think, I think what narrative does is you're training, you're training your readers, you know, particularly younger readers and teenage readers, how to experience empathy. And without mm-hmm. that, what they're yeah. doing is, you know, if you shelter them too much, they're they're still seeking out the dark stuff, is what I find. They're watching the the terrible news videos and things, yeah. But they don't have the capacity to filter it through a genuine sense of empathy. So everything's just totally. terrifying. There's yeah. no context for anything. Yep. Whereas I read something like Frostbite, which is, and I and I don't want to like over, I don't want to get too serious, but I like we should, and I, and I want to. I'll have you talk a little bit about kind of what the the story is, but it's like, it's a lot of fun. Like it's a fun kind of eighties monster movie <laughs> as, yeah, as exactly. a YA book, uh-huh. but it also, it deals with, you know, a parent going through cognitive decline, which mm-hmm. like really kind of struck me as um, a very powerful aspect of it. It, it. it deals with friendship. It deals with religion. It deals with, families turning against you know parents turning against their kids i'm thinking about nate's parents you know yeah i mean it you know even as as fun as the book is it actually does tackle some really serious subjects so um but i feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit i actually want to just like (laughs) um (laughs) before we get too deep into the book i just want to like I'm not that familiar with your work. So I want to know just a little bit more about you, like where you come from, what your kind of journey was as a writer and kind of how you kind of found your way to horror. 
So um, I've been only writing for maybe like about 10 years. I've been a really big reader my entire life. Mm -hmm. And like you, I read Stephen King very young. Um, <laughs> I got into horror very early. And I think part of it for me to kind of tie it back to that, you know, why it's good to have that when you're younger. So I grew up in North Dakota, very much that like Midwestern nice mm -hmm. um, kind of culture. And um, I came from a Norwegian family. And essentially the idea was you act nice all the time. Mm -hmm. Always have a smile on your face. You don't let anyone know when anything bad is happening, yeah. <laughs> particularly as a woman. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was always outwardly expected to be extremely positive and always smile. And I mm -hmm. think it was a escape for me to have horror to say, this is how I can actually explore some of those emotions. I'm not allowed to express mm. And see this kind of other side of myself, which really helped me develop as a person. Mm -hmm. And so I've always loved horror from that early age, but never really considered that I could write. It's like it never crossed my mind that I mm -hmm. could do that until right. I was well into adulthood. And I had a friend actually I worked with who worked part-time and she just did it for the health insurance and she was a writer. So she encouraged me to try writing. That was about maybe 10 years ago. I wrote a couple failed YA novels at that mm. time, as most of us do, you know, probably <laughs> two, three trunk novels um, yep. that never went anywhere. Yeah, we all have and those. <laughs> that, thank God no one will ever see those. <laughs> and then I really delved into short stories because I decided I need to learn like craft. So mm -hmm. I sort of started by learning novel craft and structure. And then I dedicated myself to short stories for, for several years. So I've probably got about like 50 ish publications out there in various magazines and anthologies and podcasts, yeah. and then kind of came back around to say, I'm ready to try longer work again. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how Frostbite came about. So that was kind of my journey as a writer. Okay. And I and I have to admit, I have not, I, I've downloaded several of the anthologies that you've been in, but uh, just my, my the last month kind of got away from me. I have not had a chance to read any of your short. Mm -hmm. I usually like to try and include some of the short stories along with the novel. But uh, so I guess what I would say is, are there any short stories in particular that you would, or, or anthologies that you've been in that you would really strongly recommend? Well, probably a recent one is the first five minutes of the apocalypse. Okay. Yeah, I did get that one. Yeah. Because that's a pretty good representation of what I write on the short story side. Mm -hmm. it, I write a lot of stories featuring women and girls and a lot of stories um, featuring children. I do a lot of mm -hmm. like stories that aren't really for children, but they're <laughs> featuring children, you know, mm -hmm. um, going through tough stuff and yeah. what happens to them. And I've been told, I have a friend who said this to me, that my writing style is sort of like um, poisoned hot chocolate. So it's very sweet, mm. but then I get you right. Then I'm really mm. going to stab you in the heart. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of a perfect, my story in that is kind of the perfect representation okay. of that style I go for, which is like sweet and, and accessible. I think, um, you know, not, I don't really do a lot of extreme horror or anything mm -hmm. like that, but mm. I try to make it a little fun or a little sweet but with a good emotional punch. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I, I did download that one because that was an anthology I had wanted to submit to. Yeah. And uh, the story I was working on for that just didn't, you know, it's one of those where it's like, 
it just didn't come together kind oh, of thing. I, I, that happens um, so often. So I'm really There's, excited actually. So to much FOMO constantly yeah. of all these like calls I don't make because yeah. the story didn't work out. So I'm actually I'm I'm uh, I'm finishing one story now that uh, for an anthology that I was that I'm going to be a featured writer in, and then yeah. and then I'm like tabling the the stories for a while because I have two longer fiction things that I'm just like I have to finish my novel I have a novella I have to finish like yeah I keep pushing those off down the road well and I have Um, to tell you I wanted to say one of your short stories I loved that is always stuck in my mind is the one from Violent Vixens mm, that Grindhouse anthology mm -hmm. I think Yours might have been the first story. It's in the, the first one of the whole price of blood. Yeah. Um, man, that's a good story. I loved that story. It was such an interesting take on vampires, and like mm-hmm. it really got me. Well, the novel that I'm working on, just so you know, the uh, the whole price of blood is actually the prequel to that. Oh, great! So... Well, I'll definitely read that. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm trying to finish right now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, well, that, no, that's great because that's one of my. I mean, that was that's one of my favorite stories. It's a novel I've been working. I, I started it as a short story, or not a short story, as a screenplay, 15 years ago or something, and I couldn't yeah. quite get it to work as a screenplay, and then. Well, you uh, definitely left the hanging that. at the end, so now I actually get to find out what happens. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> with your novel, that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> well, I do have to say, Frostbite, you, you say you don't write a lot of extreme horror, but you've got some moments in Frostbite that are like, like I said, they're pretty gory. But it's yes. Fun. Like the last two horror novels I've read, uh, you and uh, Sam Rebeline's Edenville, I just yeah. interviewed him, were like so much fun. <laughs> Frostbite, I had so much fun with that one. And, you know, like I said, it does it, it does take on some like kind of heavy things, but it, it is such a perfect, like I said, 80s monster movie. Yeah. With like just such a very specific sense of place and very like specific characters. So Go ahead and just kind of give us like the rundown of what this what the story is sure. for people who haven't read it yet. For sure. So it does take place in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a retro feel. And mm-hmm. um, it's about a small town in North Dakota that gets hit by a meteor, which mm-hmm. infects the hibernating prairie dogs with alien worms. Mm-hmm. And then the main character, Raylene, and her best friend, Nate, essentially have to save the town that she doesn't particularly like. Um, while she is also dealing with her mom's Alzheimer's like you mentioned Mm -hmm. and he's dealing with his own family issues but it's kind of up to them to save their town whether they like it or not Mm -hmm. and they're also at the same time dealing with a cult that thinks Mm -hmm. this meteor landing is a sign that the apocalypse has arrived Mm -hmm. which they're very excited about because they want judgment day (laughs) yep (laughs) so and meanwhile all this is happening while the town is kind of quarantined by the military so yeah it's pretty fun like you said it's it's meant to be kind of wacky and fun it's a horror comedy which i really love as a genre Mm -hmm. um it's one of my favorite genres to read or watch because i think it just gives you like you can have fun with it it's not Mm -hmm. all seriousness um and i think they pair together well so even some of that gore like you mentioned i think you can get away with it because you're making it extra ridiculous and throwing Mm. in you know snarky dialogue and Mm -hmm. for me it just works like i like the experience of that right so i'm glad to hear that other people think it's fun too but yeah 
<laughs> well, and it, like there's uh and and as always, I try to avoid spoilers, but there are a couple just just great moments. There's a, a crowbar through an eyeball um <laughs> that I really enjoyed. <laughs> yep. I loved the I love the dogs and I love how you know, obviously the the like you said, the story set North Dakota. I grew up in New Mexico, I went to college in Colorado, and there's a lot, you know, obviously these are very different places but there's a lot in common and for one thing i have a prairie dog colony like very close to my house here in albuquerque i do too right now across the street um and i'm like like, uh oh (laughs) yeah i'm i'm loving i'm loving the prairie dog like just the image because of course we anyone who knows anything about prairie dogs we know that they do hibernate in the wintertime and this story frostbite obviously you know the title suggests Set in the wintertime in you know winter North Dakota. I mean, there chains on the tires, you know, that kind of very severe, yes. <laughs> so just the image of the prairie, like right away, there's an uncanniness to the image of the prairie dogs in the snow that you're like, that's not right. No, it's like off. we just know that like this is wrong. And but there's something about using the per- because prairie dogs are so goofy and cute that like turning that against us. <laughs> Poor little guys. Over the course of the story, they just get like gnarlier and like every time we see them, they're all like covered in blood and like <laughs> I know. It's the worst image, right? Their little teeth yeah. and their little paws just bloody yeah. and dripping blood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I love it. Yeah, it's great. And then you have and then of course, you know, the infection spreads and the other animals. So we have the attacking deer, we have Yep. Uh, a couple hawks i think um and yep. then of course it spreads into people mm-hmm. and it's um one thing i've i want to ask is if you've had any experience studied at all writing screenplays um not a ton i i have read like save the cat okay just in my own kind of trying to develop my own writing skills but i i do think i sort of write more like you're watching a movie That's Mm -hmm. just my style. You know, I just tend to visualize things as if you're writing a movie. I don't know if that just comes from watching so much, (laughs) so many movies (laughs) on TV that I just naturally developed that. And I didn't, since I didn't start writing until I was an adult, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the, you know, filter, I guess I was coming from. But yeah, I think that's just my natural style um, is to do it that way. I was yeah. gonna say I was gonna say like I could see the movie of of this from almost the very first page. Like Great. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's so visual. Right. And and the sense of, you know, you've got these these great details, like, you know, not even just like the horror details. I love the Raylene. She lives in a trailer with her mom. And I love the like weird addition in front of the house. That's like almost like a mudroom or something. Like, I don't yep. know why yep. that that just felt so specific. And then this and this, of course, is something I remember from when I went to college in Colorado is the heaters, the engine heaters that you plug yes. in to make sure you're that's right. You can start your car in the morning. <laughs> yep. And I do have yeah. to say it's a little bit of a cheat because I grew up in North Dakota. So all mm-hmm. of that's really based on and I grew up in a trailer park. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that's kind of based on my own life experience. And now I live in Colorado. So there oh, you really? go. Okay. <laughs> it all comes full circle. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Yeah, it felt like I was actually picturing, I'd never been to North Dakota, but I know that, you know, it's it's the upper plains, it's very snowy. Yes. I've seen Fargo, obviously. Yeah, Fargo's um, accurate. Don't let anybody tell you differently. There will yeah. be people who protest and they're wrong. It's very <laughs> um, But I was actually, the, the town that I was picturing in my head was Alamosa, Colorado, which is where uh, I went to college. <laughs> I can see that. Yes, yeah. totally. Alamosa is very flat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, take Just the mountains More out. mountains on the horizon. There you go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So what, where, where did the, like, was there any specific seed for the idea? I mean, I, I don't want to do the, like, typical... You know, where do you get your ideas kind of question but was there anything was there any particular spark for for this one well i mean a lot of my stuff starts shorter you mm-hmm. know so i think honestly i started writing it for a call mm-hmm. so there was a call for like on earth science fiction and i don't okay. actually write a lot of science fiction when i do science fiction it's on earth i just am not like personally that interested in writing about space spaceships mm-hmm. Right. Space in general just isn't something I generally delve into. So if I'm going to do sci-fi, it's going to be like on Earth. So I just started thinking about, well, what would be a version of that I would write? And I just grew up watching so many creature features mm-hmm. that that is immediately where my mind went. Is, mm-hmm. okay, so what's my version of like critters or right. gremlins or something like that, mm-hmm. but make it my own kind of a right. thing. So really that's where it started was a short story that I'm sure this has happened to you many a time. I started mm-hmm. writing and was like, this isn't a short story. <laughs> this is this wants to be something bigger. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and where does like Raylene is such a very specific character. And I don't want to, you say you grew up in North Dakota, you grew up in a trailer park. Is there any aspect of her that was autobiographical and, and where, where does she diverge from you? Because she yeah. seems like she's very well-rounded. Uh, and I felt like I've known, like I'm thinking back to my time in the nineties. I was like, I knew that person. Like, <laughs> I knew that girl. <laughs> yes. And I would say a little parts of her certainly are autobiographical, like where she lives. That trailer is Mm -hmm. very much like a version of where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, And the time period, since she is similar in age to me, a lot of the Mm -hmm. kind of context of the 90s is very much my experiences, like the music I liked and Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. But personality wise... There might be a little bit of, I wish I was a little more like her when I was that age. Mm. You know, she's kind of feisty, which I like, mm. and just resilient, kind of complainy, <laughs> you know. Sure, but she's a teenager. <laughs> and Nate calls her out on it. You know? Yeah, because she's like yeah. stuck in a place she doesn't want to be and right. not very happy about it. So I guess it, I think it just honestly kind of evolved naturally of what, like many of us mm. when we're writing characters, right? What would this person be like in this situation, right? Mm-hmm. She's still a good person that cares about her mother and cares about her friend, but she truly doesn't want to be where she is. Like, how is she going to act and what is she going to be like? And mm-hmm. so I think it just kind of evolved. Her name happens to be an homage to my childhood friend, my childhood best friend who grew up down the street. Mm-hmm. So in that same trailer park, I did in fact have a friend named Raylene. Mm, okay but she wasn't really similar so i just took her name as an homage. Her name. so i'll just give her a little <laughs> shout out thanks for letting me use your name but <laughs> <laughs> does she know that she uh, does yeah included yeah yep. <laughs> yeah i'm always a little nervous when i've done that a couple times and i always feel like i have to send the email like it's not particularly if the character is like not 
and 100% flattering. Right. It's like, <laughs> not 100% based on you. I just like the name. It's a little bit of an homage. Don't, exactly. Yes. Don't, <laughs> don't read too much into it. <laughs> you got to be real careful about using real people's names. <laughs> right. <laughs> One thing about Raylene that, and again, and you know, reading this after reading Shannon's book, you know, and for anyone who listened to the Weirdest Thing podcast, the last episode, this is a little bit of like kind of review, but um, her book, her book deals with the character Mari Soul, who's a half Filipino teenage girl in Albuquerque who has a very fraught relationship with her mother, and then her mother dies mm-hmm. suddenly in a yeah. car accident, and it's about her dealing with the grief of losing her mother, but also the just all the the teenage everything. Yeah, and it was interesting reading. I had actually started frostbite and then we were like oh we're gonna interview shannon so i had to like set frostbite aside read i'd rather burn the moon and then go back to frostbite so i was kind of like (laughs) going between the two and and it was an interesting way to read it because raylene has some aspects that are similar Mm -hmm. you know and and, you know she's she hasn't lost her mother but she's in the process of losing yeah that's right yeah in in a no less painful way Mm -hmm. you know anyone who's dealt with a parent who's struggling in that kind of way will understand and particularly you know as a teenager you know her mom has early onset Alzheimer's yeah. so it's it, you know that's it's, it's particularly it's a hard way. like I should only have to worry about myself right now <laughs> I'm not ready to take care of my parent right this shouldn't be happening yet right, exactly and that was kind of what I was going to get to is it's you know one of the things we talked to Shannon about with her character with Mari Soul is you know the aspect of being a teenager where you're just kind of a narcissist yeah and and you can't not put things in the context of how it affects you Yeah, you're like self-absorbed you're so Mm self-absorbed exactly and you know Raylene has some of that but one thing that I really appreciated about Raylene is that she never you know and and Nate does call her out on it but it's because he's the person that she vents to yeah so he gets all the time but we see enough of Raylene to see that like she actually never really surrenders to that Mm -hmm. her relationship with her mother is really touching and really sweet because as frustrating as she as frustrated as she can get with her mother and as frustrated as she is with her circumstances she never takes it out on her Mm -hmm. yeah and I thought that was really there was a there was a very you could have walked a line of our empathy with Rayleigh. Right, yes. <laughs> but you really kept us on the side of she never loses the fact that she's a caring person. She cares about Nate. She's always concerned about Nate and his situation with his parents. And she feels for the fact that he's been, you know, kicked out of his house. And even through when everything descends into chaos, she's always wanting to stop and help people. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think she's almost in know, denial that she <laughs> She's like, no, it's that's interesting. You know, she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not a savior. I'm not the hero. I don't, I care about myself. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to get out of here and live my life. But then ultimately, she always does the right thing. <laughs> yeah. So she may not know then, it, but she, when, when exactly. push comes to some shove, she does the right thing, you know? Yeah. She, she always manages to do the right thing and she never loses that sense of, it's like she almost, I mean, you can say she's, she's in denial about, uh, being the hero, but you could also almost say like 
you could almost look at it the other way where it's like she's in denial about the fact that like you actually are justified in being like no i need to like take care of myself right now oh, totally yeah <laughs> because like literally we're being like invaded by alien infested yeah if there was prairies, ever a time like, to be like you know what <laughs> Yeah. If there's ever time to be selfish, <laughs> you can right now. <laughs> and she's, but she's always, you know, she's like trying to get out of town and like, she's always stopping the car to help somebody, uh-huh. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's almost like she's not quite wanting to admit how bad things really are totally. until yeah. that felt very human to me, but it also, it felt, it was just, you know, again, reading the two books together, these two YA books with similar, but different characters going through similar but different things mm-hmm. and but then seeing how they manifest in in very different ways it was it was very it was a very interesting experience yeah I bet. yeah it, it definitely like i said made me kind of realize i think that i i think i i had an idea of ya as being you know more more genre based maybe than it is yeah you know more or more um what would i not necessarily genre based but more like high concept uh-huh. like the divergent books and the totally. Hunger Games and stuff, which certainly exists, yeah. And I mean, even Frostbite to a degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a monster. It's a it's a totally. creature. Feature, it's not yeah. like it's realistic. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you have realist. But I, I think what is impressive is is how much realism is mm-hmm. with all the craziness. How much emotional realism you have? In it. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Right? Is you mm-hmm. have like a real story that's happening. <laughs> of a girl mm-hmm. yeah. who wants to change her life and feels stuck and is dealing mm-hmm. with an ill family member and tension with her friend and you know feeling like her life's going nowhere which are a lot of things a lot of people can identify with and then you layer on mm-hmm. top of it alien invasion and cult and all these other things but the core of the story really is that right um mm-hmm. and it's like how is this person going to deal with all this stuff when you add on extra adversity on top of it mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, that that is what kind of elevated the book for me on on top of just being super fun. Great. I'm so glad. (laughs) Super fun and super exciting. It's it's definitely a page turner. It's one of those like you can't put down kind of. Yeah. Just each chapter just propels into the next. Well, I love writing action scenes. I have to say, I've Mm -hmm. heard many writer friends say they hate writing action scenes. But for me, Mm -hmm. it's my favorite. Like action scenes and snarky dialogue like I will do that <laughs> all day it's so fun to write <laughs> that's why I asked the question about screenwriting because uh-huh. it, it I mean it read I've read a fair amount of you know I teach screenwriting so I've read a fair amount of of stuff from people who have a certain amount of screenwriting background mm-hmm. and this book read I mean Frostbite really reads as if you had like studied screenwriting. Well, I'm actually (laughs) trying to like learn how to screenwrite. So that makes me feel really good Mm -hmm. because maybe my jump will be shorter. (laughs) My learning curve might be shorter. That'd be great. (laughs) I mean, you've got, you've got all the instincts. Great. Like you write very visually. (laughs) You do write action very well. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you've got some, like you've got some like fight scenes. I'm, I, and again, I'm thinking of the one that ends with the tire iron going into the uh-huh. eyeball. Uh, that it's just like, I, I, I could just see it like, again, it's, uh, you know, very 80s action movie. It makes me think of like the, the fight scene in um, They Live or something. Totally. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just yep. kind of brutal. You just amp it up, action. you know, like what's the worst exactly. thing that could happen and then make it like a little bit ridiculous. Right. <laughs> 
So as as an eighties creature feature, what are some? I know we're going to talk about one of the movies, but what are some of the movies that you you drew from in terms of inspiration? Uh, even if it's just like not story inspiration, but more of an aesthetic. I'll tell you one that jumped to mind reading it was um, the eighties remake of The Block. Yes, totally. Very much I jumped. Definitely in the see that. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And I would say Critters. I already mentioned. I definitely mm-hmm. think that one, uh, Gremlins for sure. Of course, yes. um, the winter in the winter, uh, uh-huh, kind of a the winter setting very winter. much makes it. Feel mm-hmm. I think also a little more recent, but uh, well, I guess this would still be late nineties. The Faculty mm, is yeah. one kind of an alien possession parasite thing um, that's changing mm-hmm. the way people act, and and then the other one that comes to mind, which is truly one of my favorite horror movies, is Slither. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't have thought of Slither, mm-hmm. but now that you say yeah. it, yeah, I think I was so thinking of the 80s stuff yeah. that Slither was just more, a little more recent. Yeah. Than, it's than modern, but I think it pulls from that time. Which It's the, it's mm-hmm. the same. It, they're pulling from the same well. Exactly. Of, yeah. Exactly right. Uh, yeah, I think exactly. another one could be the thing. Yeah, uh-huh. for sure. It, it's it's definitely again the winter setting and also the amorphousness yes. of you know the these alien worms that are invading all these different mm-hmm. you know well, it's not a shape shifter but it's yeah still you never know what manifestation it's yep. gonna and you kind of don't know who has it you know you can't quite tell right. And also it changes someone, right? So like it infests someone and changes them who they are as a person. Um, so it also, I thought, and I'm, I wanted to ask if this is a, if this was like a conscious choice, you know, her mother has early onset Alzheimer's, which is obviously a memory yeah. uh, thing. And then the first thing that the worm infestation does is it affects the memory. So yeah. when someone is first affected by the worms, it's like their short-term memory, you know, they, it's like they regress by about two or three years. Yep. They forget everything that's happened in the last couple of years. It, w- was that parallel? It was, yeah. It didn't come right mm-hmm. away. But as I was working on the book and trying to figure out, because I don't normally go in knowing what the theme is going to be, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was working on it and looking at how how it was coming together as a story, basically I was thinking, how can I make my parasites different from what other people could have done, right? So when I look mm-hmm. at those other movies like Slither and whatnot, how is my alien different from theirs? How can I make mm-hmm. this unique? And that's how I kind of came upon, well, it would be perfect if I used memory as a tool because that's basically going to make it even harder on Raylene. <laughs> Raylene's mm-hmm. having to deal yeah. with her mother's dementia and, and Alzheimer's. And now it's happening to her whole town. So she right. no longer is safe from this, no matter where she looks. It's everywhere around her as well and could affect her friends and everyone she cares about and take her mother even earlier than she planned. Right. right. So I think it just kind of came about as like a natural answer to that question. Well, and I'm thinking about there's one character in particular that we actually spend a fair amount of time with, and we see. I'm thinking of Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where we see his degradation because they, the, you know, they tied him up uh, to try and he's infected, and then now they're sort of trying to protect him from himself. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. So you know, he starts off where it's just like his memory is gone, but then we see him get more and more aggressive. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the fact that you know the, the, that is also a symptom of all that's right so, yes because you know, as you as, forget as... you naturally get a little angry right like what is happening right. to me i may not understand it but it's frustrating mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. It's that okay. frustration. And then the, and then the breakdown of inhibition, yes. you know, and, and so it, it was just, that was a really interesting choice to me to, to kind of pair those two concepts, you know, the very real world dementia of her mother mm-hmm. with this, this alien infestation. Thanks. Yeah. I thought it kind of came, cool. it was one of those things that happens sometimes when you're writing where everything sort of comes together, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're like, aha. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> yeah. yes, I know the perfect thing that is really going to connect this thematically and also really yeah. be the worst possible thing that could happen to my character. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and then I wanted to ask a little bit about the 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 religious cult. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up, I've talked about it on here and I've talked about it on my other podcast. You know, I'm Jewish, but I'm actually half Jewish. My mom's family were Southern Baptists. And so I grew up kind of around both and definitely have my have my feelings <laughs> about uh-huh. <laughs> some of that. <laughs> yes. The the right-wing ultra-religious fundamentalists. And I think I saw some of that reflected kind of in this particular church. Yeah. So like, where did that come from? Where did the idea to bring that into this alien invasion story come from? Well, I think, um, you know, I was raised Lutheran, so maybe a little bit less. Mm-hmm. We did more potlucks and car washes probably <laughs> than um, yeah. a Southern Baptist, but um, <laughs> still the core <laughs> is there, right? And I think right. I certainly reached a point when I was in my teenage years where I was like, wait a minute, why are they telling me I can't ask questions? And this mm. seems like a red flag, <laughs> right? right? As many of us that go through that kind of indoctrinated religious experience go through where we're like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. something's off here. And so I think it was natural to tie that in just because that was my experience growing up. So that was something I experienced in that North Dakota town. But also Mm -hmm. I've really always been pretty obsessed with cults. Mm -hmm. So one of my, so one of my degrees is in religion and philosophy with kind of a specialization in alternative religions. So when I was in college, Mm -hmm. I really got into studying like religion and cults and things like that. And what makes people sort of start believing things that seem really ridiculous and start Mm -hmm. doing things that are very counterintuitive and harmful to the people around them and very out of character, like perfectly Mm -hmm. nice, logical, good people can do some really bad things because Mm -hmm. a religious figure told them to. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's something that makes it into a lot of stuff I write. <laughs> Just because I'm I'm really fascinated with cults. I still don't think I personally really understand it. Right. Like maybe academically I do, but at the end of the day, I don't. I still don't truly understand how people can right. do that stuff, you know, and even the right wing stuff. And yeah, it's it's still mm-hmm. a mystery to me how much people can be indoctrinated. <laughs> Well, and it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a thing that we've talked about on my other podcast a fair amount. We're talking about ideas around like confirmation bias. Yeah, and, totally. And it can be a literal religious cult, but it, it can become around a political ideology. Totally. It can be, be around yoga. Mm-hmm. It can be around anti-vax stuff. Yes. It could be around, um, whatever, you know, you know, once you start cherry picking mm-hmm. and you see people start cherry picking, yep. you know. I'm just going to like focus on the things that like confirm the narrative. Yep. That's right. That I want. And they're in an you echo know, that's chamber. where you start. Uh huh. Right. Yep. It's amazing how far that can take people in their behavior. It's interesting because, you know, this frostbite set in, I want to say, is it, I was thinking it was 97. Yeah, Did that's you? Right. 
specifically make it 97 okay i was wondering where i got that so you must have yep you're exactly right. mentioned that okay <laughs> so this you know this is an interesting time period because you know, this is pre-9-11 but this is you know within a couple years after the oklahoma city bombing that's right yeah so this is you know people i think forget you know we're in this era now of like q and and all this sort of craziness mm-hmm. going on now but people forget the, how much of like the weird militia stuff was going on. Yes, right. yeah. You know? And it was very, the time period the book take place, it takes place in was very shortly after Heaven's Gate. Um, that's right. And I that's right. Oh, that's that. where the 90s, because they talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I mentioned book. that in the book. And it was something mm-hmm. I personally remember watching on the news. Like I remember seeing yeah, that too. footage yeah. of those people lying in their cots with their matching outfits and shoes <laughs> You know, and yeah. um, it's interesting to think about, too, because that was also kind of the beginning of someone using the Internet in that way. So that mm-hmm. leader of Heaven's Gate, like had a like essentially a website. Right. And it's recruiting mm-hmm. followers that way. So it's like and it's still up, which that. is crazy. I yeah, yeah, I think he still has followers, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, it it's interesting to think of how many parallels there are. And all those things that were going on with, yeah, militias. I have some um, family experience with that too. So kind of like what you were talking about, political ideologies. Um, you know, I've watched mm-hmm. some people that I'm close to probably get a little too far into those prepper behaviors and mm-hmm. some of that stuff. Well, I know that upper Midwest and yep. like Michigan and Montana and the Dakotas yep. are, can be Idaho, uh, which is more the Mountain West, uh-huh. but those can be hotbeds for that kind that's of right. stuff that's right yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and you really capture that with with this specific church because it goes from being like okay they're a creepy church i love his canadian tuxedo <laughs> you know <laughs> like trying to make it a little funny right he's like a little ridiculous and, yeah, well, and like, and Irene, uh, you know, Raylene's mom's friend yeah. is like, she's got her like kind of mom perm. Uh-huh. And like, they seem like a little silly, and you just kind of like roll your eyes at them right. until they're not. And right. then all of a sudden, they're, you dismiss they them, have grenades. Really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, they've been building an apocalypse bus for like God knows how long. Like, they're all wearing camos now. <laughs> they're, they're all like got gun belts and grenade belts. Yeah. I mean, exactly. It's, it's like, oh, they were they were planning this. They were know? planning this. They were kind of hiding in plain sight. Yep. And it really makes me, it was making me think about the fact that like that was a very 90s thing that we're kind of reliving now. <laughs> you exactly. Know, a, yes new way for sure while you're you know sitting side by side at in the book it's grandma butterwick's breakfast place Mm -hmm. but you know now it might be ihop or wherever you like to go right Right. next to your aunt or whoever who could be essentially irene (laughs) exactly yeah yeah no i mean that's like i you know i don't think there's anyone in uh, in my family who are like that but i think there's like probably friends of friends of people on mm-hmm. in my family on the southern baptist side yeah. who like kind of went down that sure. <laughs> path you yeah. know it's very uh i i felt like you really captured that okay. well, well thank you <laughs> i thought the scariest part of the book to be honest was and again i don't want to spoil anything but there's one point where nate and raylene have to go into the church yes we'll just say yep 
And and again, it's like, yeah, we've got, you know, creepy alien infested prairie dogs and alien invasions and stuff. But you managed to capture some of the real world horror pretty well of just like, oh, we're surrounded by crazy people. Yeah. Can we get out of this? And it's kind of, I think it probably came through. That's probably the part I would be most scared of. It's yeah. like, okay, yeah. All right. I Creatures I can figure out how to kill, you know? <laughs> All right, right, I can wrap my mind around this, <laughs> but now I'm having to go into a church right. with all these cult people. Like, I have no idea. Who are like, look, just looking for an excuse yeah. to do something to you. Totally. Yeah. Like, this is real bad. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to yeah. well, you know. <laughs> no, I thought that I would love that. Good, good. <laughs> that was actually one of the later scenes I added to the book. Oh, really? Interesting. And I now I'm like, I don't know why I never why it wasn't there to begin with there needed to be a big show down there you know so well it's just there's some and you really take your time and it's also you know it's 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 scary and it's tense it's also heartbreaking because we really see the the kind of dissolution of nate's relationship with his mother yeah i know and it's and it's just like okay it's so (laughs) sad and i think you see that happen in the real world too right you like members kind of torn apart from these like political and religious beliefs that are really harmful right yeah it's really upsetting (laughs) yeah yeah it is i wish it weren't real (laughs) right (laughs) so um we should talk about so we talked about some of the movies that you know kind of the aesthetic might have inspired it and you had mentioned one movie ahead of time that i watched it's the first time watching it in a pretty long time for me uh the movie chud yes um, <laughs> so talk about that that movie what that movie meant for you in what ways it did it ins- have any like direct inspiration on i don't know that this? i knew it did but looking back on it i think it did so uh-huh. when you asked me to think of a movie that was maybe a little more obscure it was one of the first things that came to my mind. And I think I saw it pretty young. Like I was probably eight. Maybe. Yeah, me um, too. And it just has this, in my mind, I can still hear the narrator saying cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I just like remember it from growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's about, it takes place in New York City. It's, uh, there's a main character who's a photographer who's doing a piece on homelessness, essentially. Mm-hmm. And these undergrounders who live in the tours and the subway system and a bunch of people start to go missing. And um, right. essentially the police aren't taking it seriously until the police captain's wife goes missing. And so they kind of start looking into it along with this guy called the Reverend who mm-hmm. runs the homeless shelter like soup kitchen and trying to figure out why people are disappearing, which it turns out they're getting snatched and turned in or or turned into these cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers and there's a whole um conspiracy where all this toxic waste is being hidden down there by by this uh i love the moment where when it's revealed what chad really means which is uh what was it was like i was thinking i think i wrote it down because i couldn't remember contamination hazard urban disposal right exactly and so like (laughs) it's basically toxic waste it's essentially toxic waste that's been hidden and what i loved is how just bureaucratic it is it's like we haven't been like you know there's it's tied up in courts and you know so we can't move it so we're just kind of like dumping it down there and mm-hmm. the and the guy who's like the head of the Atomic Energy Commission guy, 
Mm-hmm. It was like our mustache twirling, like almost literally a mustache twirling. Totally. You know? <laughs> he was a good villain. Um, it's just, he's a great villain. And I love how when he's finally confronted, it's just like, you're just a glorified garbage man. Yeah. You know? Like, I know. Like, I love the, it's just so, like I said, bureaucratic. It's just like government ineptitude. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And, and I think that, and growing up, I was, go ahead, go so ahead. I was just going to say, growing up in Los Alamos, yeah, I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico, which is yes. obviously anyone who's seen Oppenheimer knows mm-hmm. <laughs> the significance there. And we've, you know, these have been controversies around here forever about, you know, what do we do with all the stuff? Yep. You know, we have a canyon in Los Alamos called Acid Canyon. And you can um, you can imagine why it's called Acid Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, Chud is a very, like, B-movie it is. <laughs> version of yeah. that. But it's, it's always, it's interesting how, I thought it was interesting how, like, kind of, like, honest it was about the fact that, like, it's just government fuck Yeah. Like, that's all it it's is. That, yeah, yeah, it's that simple. They just they know to do with this stuff so they're gonna cover it up which is totally realistic right we see that like you said happen all the time in real life Mm -hmm. and also i think so there's definitely like that environmentalism theme too right i also you know one thing i was surprised at re-watching it because it's been a long time since i watched it and i think why i thought of it is like creatures from underground and Mm -hmm. um humans being turned into monsters and kind of Mm -hmm. government quarantine and cover-ups that's sort of why it came to my mind as maybe impacting the kind of this creature feature that I like to write but I was surprised by how in rewatching it how progressive it was like about Mm -hmm. homelessness and absolutely there's a few things like that because I don't think I've watched it I probably haven't watched it since I was maybe a teenager yeah and I was like it treats the homeless population as like these are real people who are being yes. exploited and victims. That's right. And the police don't care. Like they're not props. Yeah. If you yeah. the police don't care that stuff is happening to them mm-hmm. until something happens to someone that's close to them, right? Um right. so yeah, I, I was actually really pleasantly surprised with that, which I did not remember. Mm-hmm. It had like more depth than I recalled. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah, oh. I had the same I had the same reaction. And I also thought it was one of those movies that like I mean, it is what it is. It's an 80s creature feature. It's got some pretty interesting, like, dude in a rubber suit effects, you know? (laughs) But, like, it's just, like, I had um, on here uh, a couple months ago, Daniel Brom. I don't know if you're familiar with him. And we talked about the movie Q. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's the the Quetzalcoatl uh, loose in New York movie from the early 80s. Yes, I have. It's been a long um, time, but yes, I have. Yeah, stop motion giant lizard movie, you know. And I had a similar reaction watching Chud, which is like, it is what it is. It's it's this kind of like fun, goofy 80s B movie that's also just like sort of 15 to 20% better than you think it'll be in terms of like the acting is better, the writing is better. It's got some like good, clever dialogue. Uh John Hurd is really good. Daniel Stern is fantastic. Exactly. Like... (laughs) As the Reverend, he was <laughs> like my it's... favorite character, honestly. Mm-hmm. Daniel Stern. Yeah, he's he's like the yeah. real hero of the movie. He really is. Yeah, and he, you know, he's the like you said, he's the Reverend. He's the guy who runs the soup kitchen. Uh huh. And he all he he just cares about these people that you know kind of keep fight right. for themselves, and and the cops are out to get him too. And yeah, I love that. And, he's, and I like that he's all like like there's no love interest for him. He's all grubby and like. <laughs> He like no. does not care. He's like, listen, he doesn't care. I got some soup to make. I want to take care of people. Right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. 
And I like, you know, I liked that the police captain character whose wife is missing is like treated as like not a sort of stereotypical cop character. Yeah. And you're right. It's like he wouldn't have cared if his wife hadn't gone missing. Right. But once he finds out what's going on, he's like genuinely like. Yeah. Out, and he kind of like know. puts himself out there, right? Against right the, his superior's orders and everything. Um mm-hmm to try and fight this which he does not have to do i love the scene where you know when the when the evil intia or the evil atomic energy guy yeah bad guy like basically like overrules him and is like no we're just gonna send down one guy with a camera he's, and he's like oh okay fine and then the, the guy with the camera goes down and there's all the cops with flamethrowers and the guy and he's like what <laughs> <laughs> and he's like and, and i love the line where it's just like he's like do you really want to like argue with us like your guy has a camera my guy has a flamethrower <laughs> like, so <laughs> balance of power here <laughs> i like that part too you were like haha <laughs> yeah um he's the best evil 80s beer crap villain since uh the guy in ghostbusters like... yeah. <laughs> oh my god good comparison i love it yes yeah. And I love, you know, kind of how in the end he shows himself to just kind of be a coward, you know? Yeah. So it's exactly. like he, he's a big talker, but when it all comes down to it, he's just really a coward. And it's all just about covering his Yeah, ass. that's right. That's, that's the only thing he cares about. Mm-hmm. You know, he might blow up the city by pumping a bunch of gas but, into yep, the sewer. As long as he gets off scot free and nobody knows what he did, it's right. fine. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Also, I was <laughs> very surprised by the random John Goodman cameo. Yes, I've forgotten all about that. He's like yeah, a bad... this was must have been like early John Goodman. Yes, super early, and he had like a bad Bronx accent or something. I don't know what was yeah. the accent he was trying to do. Like, is that yeah. a Boston accent? <laughs> what even is that? I know it did not well because I don't because I think he's from like Indiana or something. Yeah, so. it was so funny. <laughs> he did not read as like New York cop to me. But I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll go with it. But I loved it. I was like, oh, yeah. is that John Goodman? I mean, I'm always happy to see John Goodman always. on anything, even if he gets eaten by Chud. That's right. Like, he did. Spoiler: He minutes. did get eaten by Chud. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I'd always, I remember enjoying the movie when I was a kid. I, like, I saw it, I think I was real young. Like you said, probably like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. I think I saw it again probably in high school. Enjoyed it. It's, you know, remembered it. I remembered the basic plot of it, you know, some of the basic images. But I don't think I'd seen it since. And so, like, rewatching it and just realizing, like, this is a better movie than I remember. I know. Same like I was not like, expecting some of the depth and like you said yeah. you know it's that like 15 to 20 percent better than you expected it's still not a good movie right <laughs> problems. Yeah. the last half like, falls apart not... a little bit like you know there's some issues but for like a sure. good b creature feature very satisfying yes very very much so i i don't i do not remember enjoying the sequel then I probably will not go back. I looked and that it. up. I was like, well, now I'm kind of wa- re- trying to remember the sequel, and that one is like Bud the Chud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where it's like a, it's a lot more hijinksy with. That's uh, kind of what I remember. And, yeah. Watch yeah. I watched the preview because after <laughs> myself and my partner rewatched this one, we like looked at that one and we're both like, no, let's let's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I'll, I'll stay away from that. Yeah, <laughs> let's leave. Yeah. You know what? Chud was better than we remembered. Let's let's leave it there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I did want to ask you about another movie, uh, one that I just saw last night. And I was thinking, this is the like super dark, super upsetting, serious version of Frostbite, which okay. is, um, have you seen, it's on Shudder, it's called When Evil Lurks. No, but it's on my list. Everyone has been it's, saying it's so good, but it's like intense. It's intense. Yeah. It's a it's a demonic possession movie, okay. but it's got elements that play in an almost similar way to the way you have the alien infestation okay. play. Frostbite. Okay. But it is but whereas Frostbite's a lot of fun. I would say when evil I wouldn't call when evil lurks fun. It's very good. <laughs> <laughs> It's very scary. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of why I haven't watched it yet. I'm definitely someone who has to be like in a mood to watch it serious. <laughs> you know, serious yeah, be movie. in the be in the right be in the right mood. Okay. And be prepared for there's there's a fair amount of children getting killed. Okay. Which okay. I know some people no ant but I'm some people not no animals. Not a Are there like dogs and cats that get killed or uh there yes. Okay. Are. All right. <laughs> I just like to be prepared, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was, I had to think about it, but yeah, no, it's actually there's more than one. Okay, so, all right. Not, I will say the animals being killed is much less graphic than the children being killed. Yeah. I'm not sure what that means. Probably because <laughs> like we wouldn't stand for it, or... you know. Nowadays, I think right. we are little as viewers, like less likely to tolerate <laughs> animals yeah. for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> So um, what are you working on next? Like, What can we look forward to? So I have my debut short story collection coming out next May. Oh, great. So I'm super excited about that. Um, cool. It's called The Dead Spot, Stories of Lost Girls. Um, so it's Ooh. all stories about women and girls that are kind of lost to various, you know, whether it be to circumstance or obsession or manipulation so just kind of a variation Mm. on that theme and yeah so i'm super excited for that to come out we're working on the cover now so there's going to be and and who is putting that out dark matter inc which is the same so that's so that's same Mm -hmm. so it's dark matter again yeah so i'm really excited about that and then i am right now writing the sequel to frostbite so awesome yeah well, I'll definitely, like I said, I feel I feel bad. I wanted to get to some of your short fiction before today, but I'll definitely have you back on for the collection. I would love that. Um, yeah, yes, please. That'd be great. I would love to come back. This was a lot of fun. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Horror from the High Desert. And thanks again to Angela Sylvain for coming on. We'll be back in a couple weeks with author Joshua Schlossberg. We're going to be talking about his novel, Charwood, among other things. And as before, uh, like I said, if you are enjoying the podcast, please go to whatever streaming platform you're using. Give me a five-star review. Go ahead and share this on social media. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And I'll be back with you again in a couple of weeks. Bye.